Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. Before we start today's show, I just want to let you know that we're going to be running some big conferences in Australia and New Zealand in September this year. It'd be amazing if you came along. They're always fantastic events where we look at leadership and we look at culture. It's a real highlight of the year for us and for our community. And you're part of that community, so we'd love you to come along. If you're in Melbourne on September 5th or Sydney, September 13th, we'll be running it there. We've also got another conference in New Zealand, which will be in Christchurch on the 18th of September, Wellington on the 19th, and Auckland on the 21st. There's links to register in the show notes for this show. So if you look in your, your podcast app, there'll be a link there. Otherwise, give us a Google or look us up on the website. And with that, let's get into today's episode. Hi, Corinne. Hey, Dom. So we've just released Real-Time GSI, and it's a tool around measuring teams' behaviors. It gives them feedback on how they're interacting together in real time. And with that, we've been getting a bunch of questions around teams. So I thought what would be cool today is going into some of the issues teams face and maybe what they can do about it to help teams get the most out of that new platform. Yep, sure. It's a big question at the moment because so much of our work in organizations, regardless of what its business is or what its purpose is, is actually done through teams. And so we get a lot of questions around how do we help teams have good conversations, robust conversations? How do we help team manage conflict? How do we create high-performing teams? These are some of the questions that we get very, very regularly. And so I think that's a great place to start, right? And I think a really common one is around that conflict in teams. And Mm. it's a bit of a weird kind of taboo because on one hand, we don't want conflict, right? We want everyone to get along and there to be harmony in the group. But at the same time, if we can't have conflict, that doesn't lead to the best outcome either. Yeah, exactly. And and I look, we want there to be harmony, but we want it to be we want there to be freedom to be different as well. So part of the value of team is actually having the ability to talk straight and respectfully with each other, having constructive feedback constructive difference, constructive challenges. So conflict isn't bad, it's just how you manage it in the moment. The more defensive we get around somebody disagreeing with us, the harder it becomes to actually talk about the real issue that needs to be discussed. And I think often in groups I've observed who can be perhaps on that passive side, I think it's really tempting to be on that passive side too because you've got to work with these people every day. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. you kind of don't want to step on people's toes because, well, you know, tomorrow they're, they're still sitting next to me. Yeah. And all that. So it's tempting to go into that space. But the issue with that is often you, the disagreement doesn't actually disappear. Yeah. It's just not said. Correct. And so we can go around in the group and maybe we go around in circles and don't land on saying, and, well, maybe we do agree to something, but actually I've got reservations about it. So although we've reached an agreement, I'm not actually going to weigh in, going to go away and do anything about it, right? Because I haven't actually bought into to what you've said. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you, you think about the circumplex, which is the tool that we use to look at how teams interact with each other, you get different norms within a team. And that's what the information that the real-time GSI gives people. 
So if you've got a team that's actually working constructively, you can see that there's a balance of delivering a result Mm -hmm. and paying attention to the quality of the solution while at the same time getting Mm buy-in and getting alignment with the team. So you get this really nice balance between needing to get the job done but getting everybody working together in order to deliver it. And so we talk about that as, you know, quality of solution times acceptance is Mm -hmm. what's important. So when you're talking about a passive defensive team, there's a focus on acceptance. Right. And so everybody's worried about the disagreement because they don't want to get people off board. And so what happens then is you get a lack of quality in the solution because there's not enough debate. So we there's, don't challenge ideas. We don't challenge and, ideas. Yep. We don't debate ideas. We're not generating as a lot of, ex, you know, and exploring lots of solutions or options. And so we kind of, in a, in a team where there's a lot of passive norm, green norm, the team's just kind of enduring that meeting and they're kind of really mm. waiting to get out of it as soon as possible, often, you know, with everybody intact. Then the other side is if you've got a team that's got more an aggressive defensive norm, they're more going to show up a bit more red, you're probably going to have a lot more competition between team members about who's right and whose idea, you know, needs to be the one that prevails. You get a lot of you get a lot of debate on that side, but maybe not necessarily constructive debate. So instead of it being, you know, let's think about what we're trying to create together, let's think about the goal, it becomes point scoring. or it becomes who's more right, you know. And so what we're trying to do with real-time GSI is give teams an opportunity instead of being in the team to actually reflect on how they work together as a team. It's a bit like holding a mirror up to how did we go trying to solve that problem? Where did we do well? What did we do well? And if we became a bit unstuck. At what point did that happen? So one of the things I do with teams when we're working on their dynamics and we're working on their ability to collaborate and problem solve together is we use a six-step problem solving process. And I use it in a way to help the team think about how it's working with each other. So we'll get them to, they'll choose a business issue. Uh-huh or an organisational issue that they all have a stake in, and we'll put a time limit around how long they talk about that issue. So it might be 45 minutes, it could be an hour. Uh I usually go for a 40, 45 minute. Now, the purpose of that time frame and that discussion is if they solve it and they get to agreement, great, in that time, but our purpose in setting the time frame discussion isn't about necessarily resolving it. We're just going to see what happens when the team has a discussion where everybody's got a stake or a skin in the game. Right. So it's got to be an issue that's not just a softball kind of issue. Correct. But something that actually is going to affect people so they care. Yeah, they care about it. They have a view. And so we spend some time with the team choosing what that issue is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the leader will choose two or three issues and then we get the team to decide which one is it that they have a lot more ownership in it. So we put the time frame on and then we just let them have the discussion. I will sit and observe. Mm-hmm. At the end of the time frame, we call time and we stop and we get the team to sort of talk about, okay, how effective was that? On a scale of 1 to 10, how effective did you think 
it was. Okay. And I might get them to stand up and get them to take a physical position around how effective it was. So one one down this end of the room, 10 down the other end Correct. of the room. Correct. And one was when we weren't effective at all. Okay. And 10 was we were highly effective. And then we might get out the circumplex mat, which is our massive vinyl mat, which everybody sort of talks about as the twister mat. Yeah. So it shows the behaviours, right? It shows the behaviours. It shows the circumplex. And I say, okay, so take a position about where you felt the team spent most of its time during that discussion. And people take a position at the same time. And so we're trying to get people to really reflect their own view, which is you know, why we get everybody to do it at the same time. We have a discussion around that. And that's a really useful way to get people to start talking about the process that happened in the room versus the content. Okay, so the content is we get stuck in the story Mm. of what I think versus what you think, whereas this is about the pattern and the process of us working together. And so we have a discussion and then I'll use the problem-solving circles as a way to get them to reflect on which of these steps did we do really well, okay? And they might say, well, we'll, we define the problem really well. What what are the steps, Corinne, just before we get into it? First thing is defining the problem, breaking it down into its essential components, identifying the objectives and the outcomes that you're looking to Achieve. achieve. And then it's about identifying your options and exploring, generating multiple options and exploring them, then evaluating which of the options are actually going to give you the best chance of achieving the outcomes, and then it's making a decision. So a framework like this is really useful for a team because often when they have clashed or when the team discussion has not gone well, it's usually indicative that their problem-solving process is not working for them. Uh And so if you give them a frame like a six-step problem-solving circles, they can have a discussion about where they feel they got stuck and what would they do differently. Now, there are two things that happen when you give people a process or a, a framework to talk about. A, it stops them from getting into fault language and blame mm. language. It gets them out of the story of the minutiae of the detail of a specific issue and it gets them talking about the pattern. And because it's a, a process, it gets them talking about, okay, what did we think we did well and where did we get stuck? And that's what happens with teams is often they can get stuck in a, a dynamic that doesn't help them. And that's really those kind of habitual behaviours of the team and, and- We've all been there and seen it and it happens again and again. It can be quite frustrating. I think the great thing about about what you're talking about and the real-time GSI in general is that opportunity to talk about how we're performing because we all get so stuck in the day-to-day, right? We have this weekly meeting, whatever it is, and we just do it and we don't ever stop, kind of call time out and say, well, how are we actually performing as a team and is this the most effective way we can be doing it or can we do it better? Totally. And I think, you know, what we know is that if you're always on autopilot, you're really reducing your opportunity for change. Mm -hmm. You don't grow from autopilot because you just go from thing to thing to thing and you you do the same thing. And, you know, there's that great great, um, Einstein quote about you can't get a different result from doing the same thing. It's madness to think that you're going to get a different result. 
So I think what the real-time GSI does, its value is really about circuit-breaking habitual patterns in a team and give the team an opportunity to hold the mirror up to itself and look at what are the dynamics that support it. So when they're working well, what is it that is happening with how they're relating to one another? And when it gets stuck, what happens in that moment and in the problem-solving process, where is it likely to happen? Now, when you can notice something and you can name it and you can agree on what you've noticed and you agree on what it is in terms of naming it, then you can do something about it. I think the, the, it lets the team then talk about it because it's funny, once you've named it, you'll probably still do it. You know, you'll probably still do it again, but you're going to notice and it's going to be like, oh, we, we're doing it, guys. We're yeah. doing it. But and being able to kind of see that actually gives you a chance to circuit break it. I think so. And I think the other thing that I notice that happens in teams whenever we get, whenever I'm working with clients is that we use a lot of very general language, you know, and, mm. and, and absolute. So the general language will be sometimes or, or we always end up avoiding conflict. Mm. Okay. We always, or I notice that sometimes people will. Which is aimed at a particular yeah, person exactly. for sure. <laughs> Often, you know, and what happens in teams, if you're going to talk in generalities, and obviously we're using it because it's hard to have the real conversation, which is, Dom, when you said that, I reacted really mm. defensively to it. That's what we need to be having to say conversation, but it's much harder to do that than it is to say, I notice that people always get defensive. You know, now that's really hard to work with because there's nothing, it's so abstract, people aren't prepared to own it. Mm. And so you, you can't direct or you can't have a conversation around that. So this technique of getting people to have a conversation that matters, mm. that's important to them, put a time frame on it and as a facilitator or somebody who can observe what's going on means that you're not getting into blame. We each have our own moral story about why I think you are doing this to me. Okay, So right. having this kind of process means that we're not going to have the conversation that's abstract. We're not going to have a conversation that is general language. We're going to have a conversation about a moment in time. Yeah, We've all been there and it's concrete moment in time. And so we're going to use that as a way of understanding what are we doing that works well? What could we be doing better? Where do we get stuck? And I, I always say to teams, you know, some of the things that I think are myths about team is that a high-performing team always gets on. They don't. They don't. And one of the things that we need to get used to is that there are groan zones when you are. What do you mean by that? A, I love that groan zone when you're working in a team. People process information, they perceive information differently, that we process information differently. So you think about it in a team, you've got five, six, sometimes 10 people that all have a different piece of the puzzle. They all have a different way of seeing the world. They all care about the outcome, uh -huh. but they bring a different reality to it. Some people think really quickly. Some people are extroverted. Some people are reflectors. Some people are introverts. You've got all of that in the room. Okay. Invariably, there's a topic that might be on the table 
and some people are really familiar with it. And so the groan zone happens if some people aren't familiar with it and they need to go over the topic and talk about it a bit longer. Then the groan zone is thinking, oh, you know, I'm a crosser. Why do we have to talk about it? And so the groan zone is the friction that occurs when we're all, we're not lining up. Uh. Okay. Now this is normal. Okay. We, we oughtn't to expect that, you know, effective teams don't have groan zones. They do. What marks an effective team from a less effective team is that they're able to navigate the groan zone. Right. They're able to call it out and say, look, I'm noticing, Dom, that you, you seem to have checked out a bit what's going on for you, mm. bring you back in. And it's not about not having conflict. It's about having the conflict, playing the issue and not the person, and being able to preserve the relationship while you're having the argument. That's it. And I think back to your earlier point about having a kind of process, so the problem-solving process, to have these discussions actually helps you get away from that advocacy kind of approach to team discussions, you know, where it's like, I think we should go left, you know, and then you'll say, I think we should go right. And now it's you versus me, right? Because we're left and right. Exactly. And so one of us has to win, one of us has to lose. Whereas actually, if you have a bit of a process, which is more around, well, we have an option of going left, we have an option of going right. Why would we want to go left? Why would we want to go right? And so it actually gets away from then me tying up my ego with the left solution and you tying up your ego with the right solution. Exactly. And that's exactly right. So in actual fact, it's actually not about your way or my way. It's about what's our goal? Mm. What is the outcome we're aiming for? And what is the best way to achieve that? I'm going to throw out something out there, Dom. You and I had a moment just as an example, we had okay. a moment a couple of weeks ago, do you remember, where we got into a heated discussion? Which do you remember one? that? We were in the consulting meeting okay. and you said, I just don't feel like you're hearing me. Oh, yeah. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, I think that was a really, that was an example, that for me was a good example where we were building up. You had a view. Uh-huh. I had a view. Yeah. And I think we ended up actually agreeing, but we were sort of really advocating individual positions. Uh And it wasn't until you said to me, I don't feel like you're hearing me, that I went, wow, okay. That was like a real wake-up call to me. And what I was happy with is that you were able to say it to me. Yeah. And for me, it completely, because in my mind, I want to preserve the relationship, that's more important to me than winning the point. So because... I needed to hear that because it was my circuit breaker. Mm. I went, okay, what do you need me to hear, I think is what I said to you. Right. And you went through. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. And I think that's a great point, but that's that's the whole point. So we're having a disagreement or I think we're kind of in screaming agreement in some ways. (laughs) We (laughs) we just weren't aware that we were in screaming agreement. (laughs) We just weren't aware. Yeah. And so... But that's it. It's being able to say that, right? Rather than me just kind of sulking and going yeah. off or something. Yeah, it would have been really easy for you to kind of get really annoyed with me and say, oh, whatever, and, walk out the door. And like e- either throw the toys or just like give in the yeah. point or whatever and walk yeah. off. Neither of which are good solutions, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think you said something there that we were in screaming agreement with each other. And, and that's what happens, isn't it? Like you, you care about something passionately. And you're so lost in trying to be heard as an individual Uh. that you can't hear that you're actually arguing the same point. (laughs) And I think 
so that was a really important thing. The other important thing was that you've got to have enough of a constructive relationship to mm. value each other so that when somebody says, you're not hearing me, you don't get what I'm saying, that the other person cares enough about that to pause, hit the pause button mm. and ask a different question, mm. you know, and allow the room. So what happens when teams get into conflict when they're not navigating it well, what happens is they go to their respective positions. They don't have a language for regrouping, mm. meeting in the middle. And you're right. You've got to give up your ego. You've got to give up wanting to be right. And you've got to be prepared to hit the pause button, wait, you know, tell me more. What didn't I hear? What was I missing? Mm. And then check back. Okay, so are you saying X, Y, Z? Other person can say, yep, or no, that isn't what I meant. So I think teams work best when they have a language to navigate those prickly issues, to navigate the heated discussions. And sometimes what happens is when the teams have really strong personal relationships, those relationships work really well when they're in obvious agreement. Mm. And sometimes the development for a team is how do you navigate what happens to our relationship together when we're not in agreement mm. and, in fact, we might be in completely opposing camps. How do we come back together and just make sure that we preserve the relationship as a priority? And, and I think that that's part of the secret and of good team effectiveness is that ultimately you're trying to preserve the relationship. You don't want to antagonise it because a real team needs to work together to achieve the goal. But I guess it's, it's that trade-off of we want to preserve the relationship but not at the expense of not speaking your mind and Correct. not having the conversation, yeah. right? Because that's the danger is that people go instead and it's like, well, oh, I'm disagreeing with Corinne here. Well, you know, I'll just say yes because we're getting uncomfortable Right? It's easier. It, yeah. It's easier. It's way easier. And I think, you know, being in a team, like a real team, is actually quite a emotionally sophisticated thing to do because mm. if you think about it, there's a lot of tension points about being in a team. One is I want to be an individual and I want to be part of something bigger. Mm. I want to have my voice, but I don't want to upset people. I want to promote the team's outcomes and aspirations. I want to be part of that, but not at the expense of my individual values. So you've got this kind of pull and, you know, push and pull between individual and team. And it doesn't have to be a push and pull, but I think we have to learn how to have those conversations. Right. I think I work with a lot of leaders who think that if you put a bunch of bright people together, you It'll let them work. get on to it and, you know, and they're an effective team. And that isn't often what happens. And I think that's a really interesting point, and, and maybe we have to wrap up here, but we could explore on another show is there's a lot of talk nowadays about teams of teams and agile yeah. teams and mm. a lot of stuff around teams, which I think is brilliant, but it's built on the assumption that teams work. Yeah. Right? So teams of teams is fantastic if the teams actually function effectively. Yeah. And if they're not, then you know it's going to be a disaster. Yeah. And, totally. and the reality is a lot of teams aren't operating at their most effective because they can't have those conversations that truly matter. So 
what I would say is let's pick that up on another episode. We've probably got to wrap this one up. Yeah. But it's been an awesome chat, Corinne. Yeah, it's one of my favourite topics, actually. Well, let's pick it up, and I'm glad we could get through our uh, screaming agreement <laughs> together. Yeah, and uh, thanks for sharing it. Yeah, <laughs> no but worries. I thought it was a good example, you know, a live one. Yeah, absolutely. No, I like bringing it in. Okay. All right, Corinne. Well, thanks for your time today, and let's do it again. Hi, me again. Just before you go, don't forget to sign up for our leadership and culture conferences this September. We'll be in Melbourne September 5th, Sydney September 13th. And we also have events in New Zealand. So if you're in Christchurch on the 18th of September, Wellington on the 19th or Auckland on the 21st, make sure you sign up. There's a link below. It'd be awesome to see you there.